Hello and welcome to the Country Roads Podcast with Blue Gold Sports. I'm your host, Lane Shepard. So on Thursday night, Western Virginia loses a, a heartbreaker and a, and a very tight game to Baylor in, in Waco. And, and what I would describe is a shock. You know, going in that game, Baylor's favored by 18 and a half points. And like the majority of people, I, I thought there was a very good chance that West Virginia was going to get rolled. I just didn't think that the our offense would be able to keep pace with their offense. And that Baylor would eventually wear down our defense and rack up a bunch of points. Half that prediction was accurate. Our offense was not able to keep pace with Baylor's offense. But... The defense, I, I think, played lights out, you know, and, and held Baylor to, to 17, which is a team that was averaging almost 40 points a game, which was pretty impressive. So I think it was a heck of a job by the coaching staff. And, there, and there's a few glaring errors, errors but and I think that especially defensively, the, the team played, played lights out and, and really gave an incredible effort and, and should be commended. It was a rough game, uh, very physical. I mean, Norwood gets ejected for targeting, which, you know, deservedly so. He he didn't have to make that hit, and, and he just he needed to be a little smarter with how he got in there. I think he's trying to jar a, bar loose, or a ball loose, and he just he's in a bad position when he goes to give that hit, and he opens himself up to get in the penalty. Same thing with their guy that got ejected. He deserved it. Ironically... The guy that should the worst hit I think of the game was on their running back Hasty on that kickoff that actually knocked Kenny McCoy out of the game and he did not return was the one that was unflagged and I I think that was actually the most egregious of the uh, of the three personal fouls for targeting and I did like um, I mean obviously that that Winston Wright his his kickoff return was exactly what West Virginia needed at that moment and and West Virginia had. A couple times where they caught that lightning in the bottle that they got exactly what they needed. They got the Winston Wright kickoff return, which, I mean, it was great to see that. I think Tavon Austin was the last guy I saw run for a touchdown in a West Virginia jersey on a, on a kickoff. Not quite, but almost. And then the, um, that, the turnover that the defense caused on Baylor's first possession of the second half was was monster. I mean, I, it's hard to when you're in that environment, you're a big underdog, you're on the road to cause a turnover right after half when you're down. It I mean, there's you couldn't have asked for anything more there at the defense. Now actually, they gave up a big play on it and caused they just caused a turnover and a big hit. It was it was well done. But they did exactly what they, you know, would have wanted. I mean, that in that, you know, in that locker room, the defensive coaches are preaching, "Hey, we got to get the ball back for the offense. Three and out or turnover." You know, that's what they're preaching. That's exactly what the defense did, and that's something we've been looking for out of West Virginia all year. Is you know, going down the stretch, we got four more games here. West Virginia's got to win three to make a bowl. Big ask. You know, it's, it's, it's got some tough games coming up. You know, Texas Tech's, you know, we'll preview here in a second. It's three and five. But then you got Oklahoma State, K-State, and TCU. Not going to be a walk in the park to get, you know, to get three wins to go to the Bulls. It's going to be very difficult. 
So a lot of what these four games, and I'm sure this is what the staff is preaching, is that it's about getting this team and these players in the best position for 2020 as a program and then individually. That's what they're going after. And having a team that's taking advantage and making these big-time plays that steer games like this to wins is exactly what you want your team learning in these kind of situations. It's exactly what you want them to be able to take advantage of and then also vice versa, react to. How do they react to that kind of adversity? What are they going to do in those situations? So that's something that I was very much encouraged to see. Uh, you know, it was that 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 was a big positive. I know a lot of people talked a bunch about the the field goal and the delay game penalty where Leg comes in, who's he's actually the replacement kicker because Evan Staley's out right now with a with a muscle a muscle injury, and he's questionable for this week as well. Uh, if you haven't read up on that Leg story, you know the the kicker, it it's pretty interesting. I think you can find. Um, the press conference that uh, Coach Brown did on November fifth of uh, and he, he talks about, it. but this is a kid he he didn't play a, a snap in high school football, he played soccer, and just started kind of kicking footballs. knew knew one of the uh, his father knew one of the offensive coaches or the special team and said, "Hey, got a chance, went out and kicked, and got a chance to go out and you know put on the gold and blue uniform and kick in a in a ball game and that." That's pretty awesome, and that he drilled that first kick, and yes, to get the delay game a penalty, and it's not excusable. You gotta make sure that that situation that you get that ball off because you can't. Even if Evan Staley's kicking, you don't want to give up five yards on that kick. I don't care who's kicking. You're gonna roll Pat McAfee back in the town or Mike Vandergrift. You don't want to back that up five yards there. Now, if you know anything about special teams, that actually is more on the holder. And the snapper than is the kicker. But I'm sure there's a lot of unfamiliarity with the three of them when you include the kicker with him being new. And it, you know, it's up to coaching staff to make sure they get out there, get down in time, and get that ball off. And then the second one, I mean, it's tough to tell. I rewound on TV, you watch it. The kick looks fine. It looks good. The line just doesn't block well enough and it and it gets and it gets blocked. I don't think it was a case where he he hit too much of a line drive and he gets blocked because he he kicked a poor ball ball. They just nobody freaking blocked, you know. And he, he kind of gets you know screwed in that situation. But and it 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 kills Western Union's chance in that game because you're in a spot where they can tie it, you know, on the road against a highly ranked team, and instead Baylor gets the ball back. Now they've got a chance of run the ball, eat clock up, take away West Virginia's timeouts. So when West Virginia gets the ball back, you know, it's under a minute. You've got no timeouts. And if you've watched any West Virginia offense, the possessions this year, you you know it's not set up for a quick drive down the field. Yes, George Campbell catches a beautiful deep ball early in the game. It's actually slightly underthrown. But regardless, yes, it's a quick strike. But there's a big difference about that happening in during the flow of the game versus when Baylor's defense knows, well, they're throwing a deep. They got 30 seconds and they got to go 35 yard. Like, you know, you know the situation. You know what they're going to do. It's not the same. 
you know, it's it's not the same. They've got safety help. There's people there. Dude, they're not gonna be in that situation, and and you know, it just that's how you lose. I mean, that, that that's what kills you. So offensively, I mean, obviously, Western Union scores 14 points, but seven of them are special teams. And that Winston Wright, you know, kick return. But tiny lapses and tiny errors are killing this offense. They're just completely taking away any chance that it has for any rhythm, any type of consistency, the ability to flip field position, and to put points on the board. When you look at drop passes... And that game, two bad snaps, costly penalties, missed throws, missed reads. So you have opportunities where there is somebody open and we missed them. And then just missed one-on-one -on -one blocks. When you combine all those things, and they and sometimes, you know, none of them happen. But the issue is, is when there's that many problems that are happening at a decent frequency, it only takes one of those to ruin a play. And that's what's killing West Virginia right now. It's not that nobody makes a play the entire time. It's that they don't get all 11 players doing the right thing at the right time. In that game specifically, there are two massive drops on third down that I don't know if those drives end up being points for West Virginia, but they definitely flip the field position and you know put Baylor in a tougher, you know, a tougher situation. You've got two bad snaps, one of which were West Virginia's in the red zone. You know, they're first and goal, second and goal. And they snap the ball away. And it's, you can't operate an offense with those kind of mistakes happening consistently. And that's why West Virginia can't run the ball. That's why that was one of the worst rushing offenses in the country right now. Because they can't win one-on-one -on -one blocks. And the running backs aren't taking advantage of some of the opportunities they do get. But specifically in the middle of the line, it's 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 bad. And other teams know it. And they know what to do. And you're gonna I'll talk about later, you know, a bit when we preview Texas Tech. But when they know you have an issue at center, and they see now that they've seen bad snaps, they're definitely gonna make sure they put a shade or head up nose, which means they line up a defensive lineman right across from your center. Because that means now that center has to snap the ball and instantly deal with that guy hitting. Which is a big deal. It's hard. I mean, it's one of those things of, you know, if you want, go get a football and try to snap it simultaneously in that position and see how hard it is to block a guy instantly. Now I want you to imagine that guy's 6'2, 6'3, 330. Yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, it, it it's not ideal. And that's what, you know, Western's going to face this week is, you know, Washington 6'3", 305. And, they, and he's a good player. And they are definitely going to line him up across from our center and say, you just screw with him all game. And he, But when you have that kind of disruption in the middle of your offensive line, you lose Barron, so he's not blocking in there, guard. You're not running the ball, and you're now you're getting pressure up the center. Now... Kendall didn't, he didn't, you know, the amount of sacks was low, but there was pressure. And he he didn't play terribly in this game. I mean, I know people want to get on him all the time, and they're calling for backups to come in. And, yes, he missed some throws. The George Campbell touchdown was not a perfect throw. 
But Austin Kendall's not the reason why West Virginia only scores seven points in that game. It's a combination of all those things that I listed. of Bad reads, bad throws, which are on him. But then they're poor blocking up front, penalties, poor snaps. And my goodness, if this, these wide receivers drop any more passes. I mean, if anything, what you should be impressed with Kendall the most is his poise and coolness on the sideline. Because I want you to think back about previous quarterbacks that have not necessarily West Virginia, but you can think of some of those or any other place or NFL quarterbacks. If they had receivers that were dropping the ball as often as our guys have, they would have gone ballistic. Absolutely ballistic. And that's not helpful. It's not. So I'll give Kendall credit on that because, yeah, he can be upset and he's got to be frustrated. I'm sure he is. But he does a very good job of not making that uncomfortable and hard on his teammates. Because if your quarterback is visibly upset with you and mad at you during games, and those it's not going to make it easier. It's going to make them think about it more when they're about to catch the ball. So he does deserve an awful lot of credit, you know, for that. And it's one of those things where, I, you know, and it. So Jack Allison is now announced he's going to enter the transfer portal because he's going to graduate in December. And this this is not a surprise. This was this was expected. Um, so Daigie or Trey Lowe are going to kind of compete for who's second. In place and and Coach Brown actually said in his press conference this week that you can expect to see one of them maybe this week in the game and compete some. Now they're playing that pretty tight to the vest. You know we don't want to tell Texas Tech you know what we're gonna do. So that's pretty understandable. And they may not do it at all, but I definitely think you're gonna see one or both of them some in the next four games. Now Trey Lowe saw some action in Oklahoma, which means he can only play in three more games in redshirt versus. Daigie hasn't played at all, so he could play all the next four and still redshirt. I definitely think you're gonna see one of the two of the, you know, two of them gets get some action and some series in these next few games. Um, now some of that may depend on how close we are to being bowl eligible and how well they do. If they go in and they're struggling, and we say we win on Saturday and we do have a chance now, like, hey, now we only gotta win two of the next three to become bowl eligible, that plan may change a bit. Not sure. It's also going to depend on what, what they think the gap is. But I wouldn't expect you know a miracle when they come in, because look at it. If Daigie or Trey Lowe were the clear cut obvious answer, you know savior of the offense right now, um, they'd have been playing several weeks ago. So don't don't get too too fired up on that. Defensively. I think that game is without question the team's best performance this season. Uh, it, it's not close. Um, obviously, Darius Sills' step you know stands out. I mean that guy was dominant the entire game. And actually, it's pretty it's pretty cool if you go back Matt Rule and his post game press conference if you if you watch it um, did a great like really gave a great shout out to uh, Derek Sill saying he's he's as big of a stud and you know as good of a player as we've played all season. And said his brother's not is right behind him, which is true. Dante had a nice game. And Dante's Dante's been a little up and down. He's had a little bit more um up down cycle than what Darius has. But uh both of them played very well in that game. We're a huge part of the reason why West Virginia was successful. But the way the way that you know defensive coordinator Vic Coning had the, not just the front, because Donahue got back there, but also Tonkery got some good hits on their quarterback. Because their quarterback, Brewer, is, he's good. 
He's elusive. He has the ability to really move around and make plays, which if you watched the game, you saw. He also has the ability to cause some guys to miss some tackles, which we also definitely saw. But we got eight sacks on a guy that's mobile. I mean, he's a guy that's kind of similar to what, you know, in a lot of ways as far as that ability reminds me a lot of uh, who West, when West Virginia played, you know, Purdy for Iowa State. He has that, you know, good arm and can really move around. And West Virginia struggled with Purdy on that. They did not, you know, with, with Brewer, we, we did a good job. We got after him. We got him on the ground. And I thought they, they played well. Now, there's a couple lapses. Their first touchdown, the guy's wide open. Actually, ironically, Brewer almost overthrows him. He has to make a heck of a play to get, get his feet in. But defensively, game plan-wise, and how that team executed, I, I have a hard time picking, picking holes in. You know, you, you could you could draw, you know, pull up the film. You could point out some mistakes. But overall, going into that game, I thought Baylor might run that defense off the field late in the game. You know, they'd figure out some ways to, you know, attack the defense, get after them, especially when you lose Norwood. No, doesn't matter. They played stout. And, I mean, how are you not excited about that goal line stand? How are you not excited? Three of those were inside the two-yard line. When was the last time we had a defense that you sat back and said, yep, they're on the two-yard line. I don't care. Go for it on fourth. You're not getting it. You can go three times for it. You're not going to get it. And West Virginia has a, you know, some, good, I, some very good defenses previously. It has. Even when you go back 15, you know, 15 years, there's been some very good defenses. But, man, it... I love seeing that. And there's other ones that were capable, but anytime I see that, I, I just get... I, I love when you can date that kind of defensive stand on short yardage on the road against a top 15 team. That tells you the strides that defense is making. Because I tell you what, Baylor's offense is better than Missouri's. And Missouri's put the boots on that defense. And guess what? I'd, you know, I'd, I'd like to see what we could have done in Missouri defensively if we faced them again. Now, they are also, they're god-awful right now. They've lost back-to-back games to Vandy and Kentucky, and we're not competitive. But this defense has made great strides from where it started the season. It's not even close, and with a lot of young guys. So, I, that's all you want right now. Four more games. Now, if, you know, unfortunately, the offense has not made that similar improvements. Uh, but I also think the offense had a lot more gaps and holes what the defense did but uh have to be really happy with that want to take a quick second highlights you know some of the sponsors help make this podcast uh possible i really appreciate them um realtor ashley o'brien she works with realty one group coastal of charleston south carolina if you're thinking of relocating you can reach ashley at ashleyelizabethcollection.com also bringing the podcast to you this week is weed man lawn care they're providing homeowners with a beautiful lawn they truly want and deserve. Get a quote today at WeMenUSA.com. So, when you look at this Texas Tech game, you know, the same kind of thing we've been all year, I'm worried about our offense, mostly. Defensively, you know, it's a different thing, but and the biggest issue I have offensively coming to this game is how many guys are questionable or aren't going to play. Evan Staley... It is going to be a game-time decision. TJ Simmons likely isn't going to play. 
Sean Ryan is still out. Now, they think he can be back next week, but he's still not there yet. Chase Barrett is is questionable. Kenny McCoy is questionable. My goodness, that is a massive list. West Virginia hasn't had much in the way of a receiver they can really count on when they got to hit somebody for a first down. But when they have, it's been T.J. Simmons. And they didn't have T.J. Simmons late in that Baylor game. I think that made a difference. I think it made a massive difference in the offense. That that's a big deal to not have him, and, and I think the Chase Chase Barron thing can loom tight. Now, can leg fill in for Evan Staley? I don't know. I hope so, because I I this is going to be a game where West Virginia might need a field goal or two to keep him in it. You know, we can't win a shootout with Texas Tech. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to uh, get the points. You know. We're gonna have to take advantage of our opportunities, and that means if we're in, you know, in the red zone, and they're, you know, it's fourth and a good distance, we gotta be able to convert a field goal. So that that, that could loom loom tight. And Texas Tech is, they're both teams are sitting at three and five, you know, fighting to try and make a bowl game, desperately just wanna, you know, wanna win a game. Um, they're also have a new head coach and Matt Wells. He came over from Utah State. If you're not familiar with the Aggies, it's a good program. It's a good program. He's taken them, took them to bowl games five of the last six years. He won conference uh, coach of the year twice there in the Mountain West. Uh, they went 11-2 and two last year. And he stepped into a much better situation, I think, at, at Texas Tech than what uh, Brown has stepped in at West Virginia just from as far as talent that he made, he walked into. Um, you're going to see kind of both the quarterbacks you maybe saw last year. Their Bowman guy is hurt again, which is ironic because – Especially knocked him out last year. Uh, so we'll likely see Jet Duffy, uh, who came in a relief for um, against West Virginia last year, who, as you saw, can he can throw the ball around. You know, he's he's completing 68% of his passes, he's got nine touchdowns, two picks. Um he's he's mobile. Now they're not gonna call running plays for him, really. It's not something where you know they they want to do that a lot. They can. I mean, they're, they're they'll probably run some reads and some things like that just to keep you honest. But he has the athletic ability to run around and embarrass you if you don't have contain. So if the defensive ends come too far inside or the linebackers have contain and they lose that, they get out of position. He's the guy that you know on third and twelve will go pick up a first down. You know, and either flip the field or allows them to get a field goal. So that's a big deal. And that's going to be something that, the, you know, West Virginia's defense is really going to have to step up and watch out for. Uh, they're using a freshman running back, Shodrick Thompson, who's running very well for them. Defensively, they're led by a stud linebacker, Jordan uh, Brooks. He's got 87 tackles this season, which is sounds like a lot. It's because it is. You know, I mean, he's got 42 more stops than any other guy on their team. That's that's pretty ridiculous. Um, so he he he's just a guy that he's got a nose. He knows how to make a play. He knows when to make a play. And he's gonna get there. Um, I do think you know the biggest thing you know with Baron out and the struggles we have with snaps and pressure last week. Their nose guard Washington's one of the best in the league. And he's a big dude, and they are definitely going to line him up at you know across them. I imagine they're having across in the center of the majority of the time, just because of the style, of the defense they run. They like to run a three-man front. So if we're playing a ton of tight ends, 
Maybe they shift him to a guard and don't run a nose a lot and you know put him against whoever comes in to fill with Barron. But, I mean, I, I think it's more likely they use him to play Havoc with our center because if you get pressure, they call it you know, up the middle, right in front of the run, the quarterback, it's very hard to throw the ball because you don't have anywhere to step up. You cannot step into a throw. You have to run out of the pocket, but you can't step in. If you, the defensive ends come behind you, you can step up into the pocket and throw, but that cannot happen if your center's getting pushed back or guards get pushed back. They call it, you know, pressure in the face is a big problem. And even the outside zone is heavily affected if you're getting pressure immediately at the center position. So that's going to be one of the biggest keys uh, offensively is watch, watch what happens in that – between the center and guards for West Virginia. Because that, and it's not just going to be the run game. It's going to be very important in, in the pass game as well. Because what will also happen is, is even though Washington may not get sacks, and he may not get pressure himself to where he's tackling Austin Kendall, if he's tying up the center and then we have to use one of our guards to double team, what often happens is it makes it easier for linebackers in a blitz situation to not get picked up and get get to Kendall or defensive ends they do a twist so yeah, that's going to be an important matchup to watch and I really think a lot of this game is going to come down to the defense for West Virginia I mean Texas Tech has been averaging 30 points a game how how low can we keep them on the scoreboard because we, the offense is looking pretty thin right now from from a depth perspective and it you know hasn't executed exceptionally well at times so like i kind of mentioned earlier this isn't a game where we can win a shootout the offense is gonna have to take care of the ball and the defense is probably gonna have to create a, a takeaway or two you know special teams has to be a positive so if west virginia's defense plays like they did against baylor yes west virginia definitely has a shot and i think this is a very winnable game but the, they're going to have to play lights out for, for, for that to happen. I mean, there's just not really any other way around it. Because anything less than that, anything less than that, it, it's going to be a hard matchup for West Virginia to win when you're only putting seven you know, offensive points on the board. You know, it's, it, that, it's exceptionally difficult. So... Well, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. That's all I've got for you this week. You can find any of my articles or any other work from our site at Blue Gold Sports. Thank you so much. See you next week.